Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. problem with drugs in this country. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. And this problem has only gotten worse with two things. One, the pandemic and the lockdown and everything that came with it. The drug overdose problem in this country was significantly exacerbated. And two, the increased availability of fentanyl, which is significantly more powerful, significantly more lethal than heroin. And unfortunately, it's relatively cheap. So we are seeing in this country now more people dying of drug overdoses. And a lot of that is due to opioids, including fentanyl than died in the entire Vietnam War. More people dying each year from drug overdoses than died in the entire Vietnam War. Think about that. This is such a big problem that it is actually having a very real effect on American life expectancy. American life expectancy is going in the wrong direction. So what do we do about it? Well, a couple of uh, politicians have put forward a proposal which is getting a lot of traction, believe it or not. And initially, the proposal was treated as a scandal because President Trump's former acting Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, he basically did like every single other person in the Trump administration did, except for Jeff Sessions. Um, He basically did a tell-all book and said, you're not going to believe this. Donald Trump wanted to bomb Mexican drug cartels. And it was covered. Oh, my goodness, he did? And it was covered like it was a big deal, like a big faux pas, big scandal. Well, now, you know who is not running away from this at all? Donald Trump. Donald Trump says, yeah, we want to do, we do want to go after these drug cartels in Mexico 
just like terrorist groups. When I am president, it will be the policy of the United States to take down the cartels, just as we took down ISIS and the ISIS caliphate, and just as, unlike the situation we're in today, we had a very, very strong border, the strongest border, in fact, in the history of our country. And drugs were at a low of 45 years. There's been nothing like what we did just two years ago. We will show no mercy on the cartels. Now, you are hearing not just presidential candidates, but leading Republican members of Congress all embrace this idea as well. Now, you can understand the appeal. If you take someone that has lost a loved one due to drugs, and I've lost friends and uh, and family members due to drugs, I understand very well the hurt that goes on there, the seeking of explanation, the wanting to blame someone other than the 19-year-old that's died. And you can understand the popular appeal of an idea like this. Now, my big question is, would it work? Someone that is something of an expert in this field is Dr. Jeffrey A. Singer. He is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, and he works in the Department of Health Policy Studies there. He's also president emeritus and founder of Valley Surgical Clinics, the largest and oldest private surgical practice in Arizona. And he's been in private practice as a general surgeon for more than 35 years. So he's got great policy bona fides. He's got great medical bona fides. Dr. Singer, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Thank you. Good morning. So, Dr. Singer, uh, you're not in favor of bombing Mexico to stop drugs. How come? Well, first of all, it's not going to work, but it will turn our neighbor to the south that has a 2,000-mile border with us, a peaceful border, and one of our major trading partners is going to completely destabilize it. It'll probably turn it at the best into what is now going on in Iraq and Syria, but it might also turn it into Afghanistan, where eventually uh, the cartels run the country. And this is, I, I really, it's very frustrating because I, I can understand that the politicians are, are frustrated, but it's like they're in a state of denial. They, they, they just don't get it. What's going on right now is just the latest manifestation of what we in the policy world call the iron law of prohibition. The economists call it the Alki and Allen effect. It's a technical term. But the iron law of prohibition basically says the harder the law enforcement the harder the drugs. The reason we have this fentanyl crisis right now is because of prohibition. So, for example, during alcohol prohibition days, they weren't smuggling in beer and wine. They were smuggling in the hard stuff, like whiskey. And the reason is, if you're going to take the risks, then you, you there's an incentive for you to come up with more potent forms of whatever it is that you're smuggling in. So you can smuggle it in in smaller sizes. It's easier to smuggle. And when you get it across the other side, you could subdivide into more units for sale. So um, the, the iron law of prohibition is, for example, why uh, when prescription pain pills, when, when, when the government for basically pressed doctors to, to cut down on prescription pain pill prescribing, that meant there were fewer pills for what the law enforcement calls diversion into the black market where non-medical recreational users were using them. Uh, of course, at the same time, patients who really needed the pain medicine were suffering and getting cut off from pain medicine. But but when that became less available, the black market just filled the void first with heroin. And then uh, starting around 2012, 
fentanyl, which is about 50 times the strength of heroin, began getting mixed in by the cartels to, to boost the strength of fentanyl so it could be smuggled in in smaller and smaller sizes and then sold into more units for sale. And then uh, gradually, by about 2016, fentanyl became the predominant cause of overdose deaths among all opioid-related overdose deaths. And then it really got accelerated during the pandemic because um, with border closures and all sorts of supply train, chain uh, issues that developed during the pandemic, you know, in order to make uh, heroin, first you got to grow the opium poppy and you got to usually transport that across borders. And then you need to, to process it. There's a chemical called acetic anhydride, which is an industrial chemical. But there was a supply chain issue with that. So quickly, the cartels quickly discovered that, you know, we don't need to go through all that trouble. We could synthesize fentanyl just like we synthesize meth in labs because the fundamental ingredient, piperidine, is a very pre uh, abundant chemical. It's used for, for dozens and dozens of pharmaceuticals. So gradually fentanyl basically was switched out. Heroin was switched out for fentanyl. And now that the supply chain issues have disappeared, the cartels learned, you know, this is much more cost effective. Uh, it's much more potent. In addition to that, the, the iron law is still at work. So now we're hearing, you probably heard about this recently on the news, about Trank. So recently the cartels figured out that they tranquilizer called xylazine and add it to the fentanyl, which makes it even more potent. Again, that's the iron law prohibition. So that, again, they can smuggle it in smaller sizes. The problem is that the, that the uh, xylazine potentiates, makes more powerful the fentanyl, but it's not an opioid. So when people overdose on it, the antidote naloxone doesn't work. In addition to that, it, if it, when, when people inject with it, if it gets outside the blood vessel, it tends to cause tissue necrosis and people get terrible ulcers that become infected. And there have been cases where people have had to have emergency amputations. They were so badly infected. And not, not only that, there's another one I'm giving your listeners another drug to keep an eye out for. There's a, there's a category of synthetic opioids called nitazines. They were developed actually in the 1950s by Siba Geigy, but they never were brought to market. They're about 20 times the strength of fentanyl. We started seeing that appear in 2019 in Europe and in the United States. And just this past September, the Tennessee Department of Health uh, announced that nitazine was found in overdose deaths, toxicology studies, four times, it, it quadrupled the, the amount of nitazine found over the last two years. Now, most labs are not testing for nitazine because it's not on their radar screen. The users call it ISO because the actual drug is isotonitazine. So the slang term is ISO. So uh, while, while our lawmakers are busy trying to, to deal with the fentanyl crisis, in a couple of years, we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about the ISO crisis and the TRANK crisis. We're already talking about the TRANK crisis and this is the iron law in action. So the more they try to clamp down, the more they're actually promoting, the, the, they're incentivizing the cartels to come up with even more potent forms of drugs. So unless they wise up, they're only going to make this worse. It's, it's a vicious cycle. They're making it worse and worse and worse. And in the process, they'll, they'll actually destabilize our, our neighbor to the south and, and turn, turn Mexico into a basket case. When we tried to do this in Peru and Colombia back in, in the early 2000s, it was called Plan Colombia. We, we tried to get rid of the cocaine trade from Peru and Colombia. It just moved up north. It, trying to, to, to prosecute prohibition is like trying to, when you push in a balloon on one end, it comes out on the other end. So 
I have argued that as long as they keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, that's what, you know, has been called the definition of insanity. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD. PD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Oh, you, you said uh, you said a great deal. Uh, so let me yeah. let me follow up on a, on a few different aspects of it because I think sure. it's uh, very interesting. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Doctor uh, Jeffrey Singer, who is a practicing physician and also a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Now. Um, Understanding what you said about prohibition and how uh, a greater law enforcement uh, penalty means that uh, they will bring in harder and harder drugs and you used the uh, perfect example of alcohol prohibition and the folks that would take the risk in order to bring in harder booze than just beer and wine. If we were to go with what Donald Trump says or Lindsey Graham says – and um, bomb the facilities that manufacture the drugs that are coming in this country uh, for, you know, right now, which now is fentanyl, understanding in the future that it's likely to be Trank and some of the other things that you alluded to. Uh, Why would that be ineffective? Wouldn't it at the very least reduce the supply of fentanyl and other drugs and drive up the cost for American consumers? No, it's actually going to make uh, it's going to make get fentanyl get replaced by something even more potent and easier to make. And the cartels right away, they'll just right they'll away. just move out. El- yeah, yeah, okay. of course, there's an incentive and they'll just move elsewhere. You're not going to get rid of it if they have to leave Mexico they'll go to someplace else. They'll go to the Caribbean. They'll go to uh, other places offshore. That's what happened when we try to get rid of it in South America. Maybe they'll move back to right. South America. That's happened also. All right. Now, um. What the understanding that this drug crisis is a problem in this country and the uh, the the plan to bomb the cartels out of existence might not be effective. What would work? Are we talking about full out drug legalization of everything? Well, that's the only way you're really going to. Uh, make the black market less dangerous. I mean, that's what we took us 13 years to figure out from 1920 to 1933 that alcohol prohibition was leading to deaths because there's a lot of adulterated alcohol, as you know. It had, there was wood alcohol. It was leading to crime wave. It was making you know the the, the 1930s and 20s versions of the cartels were the were the you know the gangs running owning Chicago and other cities and going to war with the FBI. So it it took them 13 years to figure out this is a bad idea. And they legalized, at least federally, they they legalized it. They left it up to the states. There are still a couple of dry counties still in this country, but they left it up to the states and it's legal and regulated. So when I go into my drug dealer, which usually my drug dealer of choice is total wine. And when I go Mm -hmm. in there and I want to buy a bottle of bourbon, which is my drink of choice. Same. um, And it says 45% alcohol on there. It never even enters my mind that maybe they're lying to me and it's got fentanyl in it or it's it's uh, 80% alcohol. Because it's legal and regulated and there's recourse, not just not just, you know, civil recourse and tort laws, but there's there's regulation. So that's the ideal solution. I know it's hard 
to get people to buy into this because for about 100 years, we've basically been telling people, if you want to drink alcohol, that's fine. But if you want to use any of these drugs to alter your consciousness, we're going to put sure. you in a cage. No, it's totally so, it's totally yeah. uh, schizophrenic, w- which I appreciate. And look, um, I, I drink alcohol. The four hours that I'm doing this radio show are <laughs> the most sober uh, four hours of my day. So I'm not suggesting they bring back prohibition. But uh, people that are in favor of uh, drug prohibition, they do point to the successes of alcohol prohibition, they'll point to the fact that while um, there were a lot of problems, alcohol consumption did decline dramatically during prohibition. And with the decline in alcohol consumption, we saw a decline in cirrhosis death rates. We saw a decline in admissions to state mental hospitals. We saw a decline in arrests for public drunkenness and disorderly conduct. Uh, doesn't that show that w- w- prohibition does lead to, if not no consumption, less consumption. Well, it, it was also causing a tremendous amount of violent crime, corruption, and people were dying when they were using adulterated alcohol. And so um, I don't think there's a serious person today who would say it's time to bring back alcohol prohibition. No, at least what happened me, was well, when, when prohibition ended, at first consumption went up and then it sort of leveled off. But the other thing that happens when it's legal is you have harm reduction. So, for example... Um, and, and by the way, we have laws. Uh, adults only could purchase these products when I, I, you know, you get carded, which would happen when things are legal. Um, you can't drive under the influence, uh, all sorts of rules like that. But also when people want to drink a lot, they have a designated driver, which is a form of harm reduction. And we accept the fact that the, while most people use alcohol in moderation and, and, and safely, and usually not all the time, but in rec- recreationally, uh, there are some people who develop a problem with it. They have a substance use disorder because they have an unhealthy relationship with it. And we treat that as a as a health problem, not as a moral failing. And we treat these people with compassion and the way we should. Now, if we legalized all drugs, the same thing would happen. Sure, some people, there might be a slight increase in, in drug use, but first of all, it'll be a whole lot safer. This will be when you right. buy you would, something, you wouldn't it's going to be what you dope, say it is. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, cut with uh, some all sorts of things that might be harmful right. to someone. You'd actually know what you're purchasing. But also, we could put our, we and we, whether it's legal or if it remains illegal, we should, if you want to stop people from dying from drug overdoses, we should put our efforts into what's called harm reduction which is something that kind of comes naturally to a physician because in developed countries like the United States, that's most of what doctors do. So, for example, when we have people who are overweight and have high blood pressure and borderline diabetes and high cholesterol, and we know if we just got them to change their their diet and exercise habits, we can get them healthy. But for whatever reason, either they don't want to or they enjoy overeating or and they don't like exercise or whatever, we realize that we can't get them to, to change. So when we prescribe a, a, a statin drug to lower their cholesterol and a blood pressure pill and maybe metformin to get their blood sugar under control, we're practicing harm reduction. We're not necessarily endor- endorsing their lifestyle choices. We're saying, well, let me do what I can to make it so that you're, you're doing less harm to yourself. So whether we legalize drugs or we continue the same, that's the route to getting less overdose deaths. So for example, uh, making it easier for people to get the overdose antidote naloxone, which now is going to become over-the-counter, so that should really help. Um, we have uh, syringe services programs, so people can hand out clean syringes and needles so they're not spreading HIV and hepatitis. But in, an, in another uh, way, 
um, and I just had a paper come out on this a little over a month ago. Uh, there's uh, something called overdose prevention centers. Uh, they also had been called safe consumption sites. Now, in this country, they're federally illegal and people scoff at it. But there are now 147 government sanctioned overdose prevention centers in 16 countries and 91 locations since 1986. The first one started in Switzerland in 1986. There are 14 now in Switzerland, 25 in Germany, 38 in Canada. They're in Australia, they're in Mexico, and there are two in New York City that were sanctioned, as you know, by the city of New York. Right. And and so far, the, the Justice Department hasn't moved in. And uh, we, I had, uh, I spoke to the, the the woman who set that up, Kaylin C, and she said, in within just one year, but in twenty in twenty twenty two. They reversed 750 overdose deaths. That's 700 people. Dr. Singer, you, you're going to have dead. to come back uh, soon because uh, we're out of time, but we're just uh, scratching the surface in terms, of, in terms of issues that I want to cover with you. Thank you for the time this morning. Let's talk again soon. Thank you. It was great. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Singer, you can learn more about him at uh, his Twitter handle is Dr. Dr. The number four Liberty. And uh, I've just tagged him on my Twitter at Frank Morano. Calls in a moment, 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.